And I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, page 965 in the Bibles for you. Hear the reading of God's Word. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by an open statement of the truth, we should commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. It is there, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, as ourselves, as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that you bless not only the reading of the word, but the exposition of your word. Lord, may we be able to say now and even more so at the end of our time together, all I need is Christ. May we say Christ is sufficient for all. All of our needs, all of our desires, all of our brokenness, all of our longings, Christ is sufficient. So Father, use this time for your glory's sake, for the growth of your church, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I, after the sermon, I was confronted by somebody because we were talking about um, week one was we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and this week we're talking about in Christ alone. And last week, I, I kind of bled, bled through some lines. We kind of broke the series a little bit because we talked about that we have a certain righteousness that comes from Christ when we are justified through our faith. And this person said, hey, uh, so are you going to be able to talk about in Christ alone? Because you've already really spoke a lot, a lot about in Christ alone with this sermon. Well, the reality is it's impossible to state any of these five solas in isolation. It's impossible. After all, if we hold to Scripture alone as our final and all-sufficient uh, authority for all that we believe and do, we are immediately confronted with the question, well, what are we to believe about salvation? What are we to believe? And our answer is that we believe that salvation is by grace alone. But we cannot stop there. Why? Because for there is a means to this grace. And we are to say that, well, salvation then is through faith alone. But faith that saves must have a worthy object. Faith that saves must have a worthy object. And that object is Christ alone. 
And when you consider such a worthy Savior who was sent into the world for such pathetic and broken, degenerate people like us, you are compelled to say, to God alone be the glory. So in this study, we're going to meditate on this vital Christocentric truth. Christ alone. And as we do so, we are going to focus primarily on the saving truth that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. So let me explain. When it comes to salvation, the issue is not primarily the amount of faith that we have, but the object of our faith. Let me say that again. The issue is not primarily the amount of our faith that we might have, but the object of our faith. You see, when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he was immediately confronted with a man whose son was a demoniac. He was filled with demons. And this man, this father, was pleading to Jesus, saying, listen, your disciples could do nothing for my son. Would you please do something? He begged Jesus to help him with his son. And Jesus replied, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus didn't tell the man to just go out and muster up a little bit more faith, do a few more works, you know, trust in me a little bit more, but he immediately honored the faith, even if it was a tiny amount of faith, and he healed the man's son. The lesson is quite simple. And for some of you, you've got to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Faith does not save. Faith does not save. Rather, faith lays hold of the one who does save. Faith does not save. I I, I kind of grew up in the world thinking, man, if I just have faith, I'm going to be saved. Faith is not sufficient. Faith lays hold of, lays hold onto, grasps onto the one who does save. Faith is not independent of reason, and neither is it just a simple ascent of some presuppositions or some ideas that are laid out there. Our faith must be particularly placed in a person, and that person is Lord Jesus Christ. This is the very reason that the Apostle John even wrote his gospel. In his gospel, he stated his reason reason for writing as follows. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. John wasn't the only one who grasped the need for faith in Christ. All the apostles did, including Paul, When he wrote to the Corinthians, he said this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's that's all that he wanted to proclaim. I'm not coming with slick words. I'm not coming up with a brand new program to reach people. All that I did is I came to you not with lofty words, not with a great amount of wisdom. All I did was proclaim Christ and him crucified. 
If people are going to be saved, they need to know Christ. And they need to know Him alone as the only Savior for sinners. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And Paul echoed Jesus' words when he wrote this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Knowing Christ and Him crucified is enough. Jesus is the only measure the only person who can completely save people from sin. He's the very measure of our holiness and the mark towards which we are to strive. He is the consummate goal for every lost and broken person. If if people are in a dire need for a perfect Savior, and that perfect Savior is Jesus Christ, how did Paul, the Apostle Paul, labor to bring Christ to people? He did so by preaching. Jesus Christ, in short, is the only complete Savior of sinners, and He alone must be our message, not just the message of the pastor who preaches once a week on Sunday mornings. He must be the message of every man and woman, child who is in Christ. If we don't preach Christ, we will ultimately preach ourselves. And let's not do that. We, let, let's make much of Jesus as Paul did. For as the object of our faith is exalted, as, the object, as Christ is exalted in the church, the amount of our faith will also be increased. According to Wikipedia, the, the reliable online source for all information, right? A manifesto is a published verbal declaration of the intentions, motives, and or views of an issuer. That's what a manifesto is. It's, it's the public verbal declaration of a, of a person about all your views, all your feelings, all your emotions about a certain topic. And this is certainly appropriate for the text that we have at hand. In fact, 2 Corinthians as a whole might be described as Paul's manifesto for ministry. But we've got to ask, what lies behind it? What is propelling Paul and his ministry? What what is driving it? In this letter, you need to know that Paul found himself somewhat reluctantly at a point where he needed to defend his ministry against his critics. And he somewhat facetiously called them super apostles. Super apostles. There were no bells or whistles in in Paul's ministry. History records Paul as less than five feet tall, bald, nothing wrong with that, nor is there anything wrong with being short, right? Right? Amen. (laughs) Nothing wrong. But he was less than five feet tall. He was bald, unattractive, scarred, and perhaps even disfigured. And we're told that his voice was even probably contemptible. Like his Savior, he was despised and rejected by the majority of men. But on the contrary, these these super apostles were outwardly impressive, charismatic personalities. You've seen them. They're just really big when they walk into the room. Big personalities. And there was something very attractive. They, They made a big splash on the religious headlines of the day. The issue, however, is that they were false teachers. 
They were false teachers. Whatever their message was, it was people-pleasing, popular, crossless, and Christless. And there was a reason why they were readily accepted, and Paul was not. Paul's concern, therefore, and consequently his defense that he gave, was pastoral, not personal. His sheep needed the shepherd and the shepherd alone. He was not concerned about winning a popularity contest. He was concerned about the souls of these sheep. His, Paul's concern was passionate, not personal or or not just meant to stir up controversy. He loved his Savior and he did not take kindly to Jesus being either eclipsed or misrepresented. Therefore, Paul appeals to the evidence that he has been faithfully preaching the good news of the new covenant. And these super apostles, it appears, were preaching Moses rather than Jesus. That is, they didn't preach Christ alone. They were adding law plus Jesus. And and it wasn't working. And Paul refused to play fast and loose with the gospel. He, he said in 2 Corinthians 2, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are, be, are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death and to another, life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? The answer is no one. But he goes on to say, For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, As commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The implication is that the the super apostles were quite willing to preach another gospel. They were willing to play fast and loose with the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul, however, preached Christ, whether it was popular or not. And we should pause here to recognize that the Christ whom Paul preached was largely unpopular. The biblical Jesus is always controversial. He made a lot of claims that people don't like. For example, he claimed to be the only way to heaven. Such exclusivity is frowned upon in a lost and broken world and sadly even in the church today. But that didn't matter to Paul, and it shouldn't matter to us either. He preached Christ, and that's all that mattered to him. He saw himself simply as a light bearer, but it was ultimately the light that mattered. And sadly, throughout history, this light has often been eclipsed by supposedly messengers of the light. The era preceding the Reformation was particularly a dark one spiritually, precisely because those who ought to have been declaring the light instead hid that light. And in many ways, the crossless Christianity of the 20th and 21st centuries has seen the same result. Even in our own day, much of Christianity so downplays the atonement, the the, the reconciliation of God and humankind through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. It so downplays that atonement that the glory of Christ is eclipsed. So we must come to 
the content, the content of Paul's manifesto. And this can basically be broken down into three broad sections. First, there is a Christ-centered motivation. Paul writes, we don't preach ourselves. This was a stinging rebuke for these these false apostles. The simple fact is, if you don't preach Christ, you will preach yourself. James Denny once said, no man can show Christ powerful to save and himself clever at the same time. Why is it so important that our motivation is that we, don't, that we preach Christ as opposed to ourselves? Well, here, I'll give you three quick reasons. Number one, first, because we cannot save sinners. It's impossible. You cannot save one sinner. Local churches must be built on Christ alone, not on men and women and children or programs. It must be built on Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That includes you. You are sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Secondly, we can't be preaching ourselves because one day you and I are going to be gone. Ashes to ashes. Dust to dust, you are going to die. Some of us are closer, some of us are farther away. You cannot build anything on you. It can't be our motivation to be built on me because someday you are going to be gone. You are one car accident from being gone. But the beautiful thing about Christ is he will forever be reigning. So we build on Christ. And the third is, whether you realize it or not, we will fail. Look at my track record. Look at your track record. Look at the track record of the church. If it is built on personality and people, and we are motivated by that, we will fail. The beauty is Christ will never fail. So how do we avoid preaching ourselves? The only way to do so is to ensure that Christ is our personal Daily, moment by moment, breath by breath, personal focus. If we are focused on Christ, we will not want to draw attention away from Him and to ourselves. And on on the contrary, we will want to cry out with John the Baptist who said, He must increase and I must decrease. There's this great desire to say, I don't want it to be about me. I don't want you to be motivated by what I do or what, what we are doing. I want you to be motivated by Christ and Christ alone. Because you know what? He must increase. He is worthy. I am just simply bearing the light to you. The second aspect of Paul's manifesto that warrants some attention is his Christ centered message. It kind of builds from one to the next. He didn't preach himself, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. That was the content of his message. That is, he preached Christ Jesus as Lord, as King, as Sovereign, the one who rules over every aspect of our world. He is King. And that our message must be exactly the same as Paul's. We must understand and declare to everyone that he is Lord and we are not. He alone is 
worthy of our worship. He alone is the only one that can save, not us. The need to declare Jesus as Lord is even evident in the Great Commission. Now, when I think of the Great Commission, and maybe for you too, we start out with Matthew 28, starting at verse 19. Go therefore, right? Go therefore into uh, where? All the nations. We go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I will be with you even to the end of the age. That's, that's kind of the Great Commission. But you know what? The key to the Great Commission is not verses 19 through 20, what I just read. The key to the Great Commission is verse 18, the preceding verse where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Me. And that means all authority. Heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He is our Lord. We are to preach the gospel because He is Lord. Our, God, our message is predicated, is founded on the very fact of He being our Lord, our, our, our King over all things. And if we don't preach Him as Lord, we will preach and share a false gospel. We'll share a false gospel. And in our plural pluralistic and relativistic world this is a very relevant issue very relevant in the midst of relativism of our day there is a great need for the church to resurrect its confidence in the exclusivity of jesus christ as our lord over all things but what precisely does it mean for us to preach jesus christ as lord brian chapel wrote a book called Christ-Centered Preaching, and he suggests this. A sermon is Christ-centered not because it cites the name of Jesus or draws to mind some event from his earthly ministry. That's not Christ-centered, but because it demonstrates the reality of the human predicament that requires divine salvation. Just because somebody is preaching about Jesus or tells a, a narrative of Jesus' life does not mean that it, it is Christ-centered. Christ-centered, Chapel says, uh, that preachers must always, always preach with a fallen condition focus. That is, we must always point people to the truth that we are hopeless apart from christ you are hopeless and empty apart from christ our sin has rendered us spiritually dead and christ christ is the only savior who can rescue us from this predicament the health of the local church our local church requires preaching and teaching that highlights both of our fallenness and Christ's lordship and exaltation. It's not an either or. It's an and and both. That is, the church's ministry must keep us dependent on Christ. This will be true in every area of our life, in our relationships, in our, in our trials, in our burdens, in our marriage, in our child-rearing, in our economic 
economic hardships, in our economic, woohoo, check out the cash flow, in, in our ministry, in every area of life, we must be dependent on Christ. And, but what will result in the church and in our lives if we fail to preach Christ as Lord? The outcome is just mere moralism. Do good. Self-help. Self-salvation. And our experiences will become the authority. And we will preach at people rather than to the heart of people. In fact, we will miss the entire point of the entire scripture, which is to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Biblical teaching is always, always, always relevant because Jesus is always relevant. Our, ever, our, our need is ever-present, and he alone is able to meet our ever-present need. He is God. He is eternal. He is timeless, and therefore it is always relevant to be pointed to him through biblical preaching. And what results when we preach Christ? When Christ is held up before his church, it results in a Christ-centered and Christ-dependent church. The spiritual depth of, the of such a church will result in spiritual breath. Did you hear that? The spiritual depth of the church will result in spiritual breadth. That is, the church that grows in its knowledge of Christ will reach out beyond its own borders. So as you are growing in Christ and becoming more centered on Christ and more dependent on Christ, you are going to naturally spread out beyond these borders of our family. And you will reach out to more and more people. Even as you minister to one another, you are going to have a strong desire to go out. And when we understand Christ as he is revealed in Scripture, we will leave the convicting, the converting, and the conforming to Jesus. Jesus said, listen, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. When we understand this truth, we simply point people to Jesus and trust that his sheep will indeed hear his voice and follow him accordingly. And finally, Paul had a Christ-centered manner. A Christ-centered manner. Did you pick it up in verse 5? He preached Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. He did not see himself in some way as a superior to the Corinthian believers, but as their fellow co-worker. In many ways, this is, this is key in keeping the church focused on Christ alone. After all, this mindset is precisely that which Jesus had. Philippians 2 mentioned it earlier. Have this mind among yourselves. 
So we're, we're, we're to have this, this same mindset, the same philosophy, the same understanding of how we live and breathe in this world. Have the same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So if you are a believer, this is your gift. This is who you are. Have the same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We, we are sent by Jesus just as Jesus was sent by the Father. And this means that we are to live and to minister as Christ did with the attitude of a servant. To see oneself as a slave or as a servant requires that we are focused on Christ alone because in Him is where we find our identity our purpose, our drive, our motivation is found in Him, not in these, these other external tan, uh, results that the world says, these are tangible results. You've got to have these as what defines you as successful. You say, no, what defines me as successful is faithful first to Christ. And since He was a servant, took on the form of man, even though He should have been totally God throughout this whole process. He was both God and man. He took on the form of man and he served even to the point of death. My identity is found in Christ. Therefore, I will serve as Christ served. And this even helps us to have a Christ-like tone as we proclaim Christ-centered texts. Brian Chapel writes, an accurate exposition requires us to reflect a text's tone as well as define its terms. How we understand Scripture is through the lens of what Christ has done for us and to us and is desiring to do through His church. It changes our tone of how we speak and communicate. And when we pursue Christ alone and preach Christ alone, we will desire to please Christ alone as we serve other people. So let us proclaim the supremacy of Christ. Proclaim the supremacy of Christ, the object of our faith. And as we do so, we will see our faith increase. Paul closes in verse 6 by stating his conviction. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That opening word, for, shows that this statement is is closely connected to what has gone on before. That is, Paul knew. Paul knew that salvation is totally of the Lord. Therefore, according to Scripture alone, he proclaimed that salvation is by grace alone, 
through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. God is shining. The light that let light shine out of darkness has shown that light is shining into our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I, my pastoral prayer and concern and hope for you is that Christ is all sufficient. More than your work. You see works as your workplace as a means to bring Christ, to present Christ, to tell about Christ. But it's insufficient to give you true purpose. I pray that every relationship, whether it be extended family or your immediate family, will take second place to Christ. That Christ is your all-sufficient purpose in all things. That you understand you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ who has made all these things possible. So let me live in such a way in my family life, in my relationships, everything that I have, live in such a way that I am serving them as Christ has served me in rich and beautiful and vibrant ways because Christ is sufficient. Lucia Day Church, as you go, you are light bearers. You are a light bearer. Wherever you go, bringing light to dark places. And that light is Christ himself. May your life, your actions, your words testify that it, your life is ultimately about Christ alone. Amen? Let us pray.